Mr. Benfica is a production of the PTB Media Network. All rights reserved. All opinions are my own. Mr. Benfica can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, CastBox, Overcast, iHeartRadio, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Himalaya, as well as select episodes on YouTube at the Mr. Benfica channel there on YouTube and also all episodes available at www.mrbenfica.com. What's up, Benfica Nation? Welcome to episode 96 of Mr. Benfica. I am your host, as always, the Mr. Mike Agustinu, coming to you from the east coast of the United States of America to the whole world. Uh, It is an early Monday morning here, so happy Monday to everyone. Um, I wish it was a happy Monday for Benfica Nation. It most certainly is not, Um, so we're going to... In this episode, we're going to suffer through three match reviews, okay? I'm going to get this all out of the way in one shot, okay? Uh, one hit over the head and be done. I think that's better than than stretching this out over three episodes, given the way that these matches were played and given to some time constraints. And we're headed in to an international break now. And Benfica, you know, if you're... If you tuned out for the past, uh, let's say, 10 months, well, we're right back where we were in February of last year, so 13 months or so. Benfica, at the beginning of the week, had an opportunity to open their lead against our most direct rival, at least, at least what everyone believes to be the most direct rival in the championship by eight points. Rather than taking care of business at the Bessa, Benfica lay an absolute egg Follow it up with a very poor performance, in my opinion, in in the Europa League with Rangers. And then get absolutely embarrassed once again yesterday on our home pitch by the same Sporting Braga that did this to us in February. Once again, we lose at home to Sporting Braga. And once again, a lead evaporates. We drop six points in one week. 
And we lose two points in the Europa League as well this week. This was the absolute week from hell for Benfica. And now the only question is, is this the beginning of a of a downturn, a prolonged downturn? Or will this time away, you know, away on national team duty or training, you know, with the other players, is this going to regroup the team and, and, and give them the reset button it looks like they need? One thing that is for sure. This team, and I, I, I uh, have exchanged tweets and messages with several of you guys. Um, so we've had this conversation, some of us. This team is incredibly fragile mentally. It, it, it This has not been resolved at all. This is last year's m- problems once again. It is like Benfica are a house built out of cards. And if one, you know, the slightest, the slightest breeze knocks one over and the whole house comes tumbling down. This is just, uh, there's a lot of theories out there as to what's wrong in the team. And again, we're talking about the, the signing of a player coming into the team and the team completely falling apart. If that is the case, okay, that once again, we have to point to the professionalism of our players and our staff. If they can't figure this out when it's already happened before, there is uh, some real problems inside this 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 club, okay? And it just seems like, and I'm not, this is going to aggravate some people, but it just seems like once the president got reelected, everybody's guard went down. It's like they were playing for Luis Felipe Vieira in the first five rounds of the season. It's like J.J. was managing for Luis Felipe Vieira in the first five matches of the season. Suddenly, it's like the the air is out of the sails. The air is out of the tires. The president's been reelected. Four more years. Congratulations. Okay. And the team is back to where we were last year. Now, is that an overreaction on my part? Potentially. Um... If if you take this from a purely emotional standpoint, then that's exactly what you're feeling right now because you can't help but, but make the connections. This team had a bad game against Bovista. Well, that's where we're going to start the episode in just a few minutes. A bad game on the road against Bovista. A strong, united club with, with solid leadership would have picked the team up right away, said it wasn't our day, we'll turn around in the next game and we'll, we will... We will play better and we'll get this thing back on track. When you have a bad match, the best thing you can do is have another one. Okay, when you're playing poorly, you want that next game to come as soon as possible because you want to reverse that momentum if you believe in momentum. Okay, now it's no mistake that this downturn comes right after the words of JJ throwing shots at Barcelona. Okay, you talk about Barcelona, JJ, right? And how, yeah, maybe not this year. You don't want to be compared to them. Well, listen, I don't believe in karma, but I believe in what my uh, avó taught me of bem feito. And right now, Benfica are suffering a bem feito, as my avó would say. Okay? You deserve it. This is what happens when you when you disrespect other teams. Okay? It's like, it's like the team and even the staff... We're far too confident after starting uh, the league with five victories. Okay, starting the Europa League with two victories. Okay, we lost no, we lost sight of the fact that there were still a lot of things not right with the team. 
Yes, they were winning games. We've said this before. It sounds like I'm talking about the whole first half of the 2019-2020 season. Yes, we're winning games, but there was a lot in the performance that needed to be improved. And in the beginning of the season, you have to correct these things. We're not in the last six matches of the season where it becomes all about the results and getting to the finish line. We have a long way to go if we don't correct these errors. Well, this is what's going to happen. Now, before we get into the individual matches, Jota Jota, Georges Azouz, has absolutely gotten the rotation wrong in every single one of these matches. Okay, I have praised him before. I must criticize now. Okay, this is part of the game of management, especially in a year like this. But this is no excuse. Benfica have a deep enough team. They have a deep enough squad to overcome this. They should not be getting outplayed and embarrassed by Boavista, Rangers, and Sporting Braga. Okay? Our opponents yesterday, Sporting Braga, well, Carlos Carvalhal did a good job of rotating his players. Yeah, he knew he had six points in the Europa League. He went to Leicester, got massacred while saving players for this match. That was clearly the objective. The players bought in, and they got what they wanted out of it. They got their objective. We rested players, but not the right ones, in my opinion. And we're wasting substitutions on outside backs now, in my opinion. I know you get five, but still, you should not be switching both outside backs in the same match. Two matches in a row. If if Grimaldo is not fit to play, he doesn't play. If he's fit, he starts. You keep messing with the team. You keep changing up the dynamic, Okay. JJ has no idea what to do with that midfield. That midfield is incredibly fragmented now. Okay? It's not constructed well. We've said this before. We let a couple good results get in the way and let us think that it was. But we don't have a true six. We don't have a true eight. And we don't know how to play with the double pivot, clearly, because we've been doing that, and that's not working well. Well, who constructed this team? We went and spent... 100 million on players, a lot of which were players for the same positions. Yeah, we got Darwin and Valchman. We needed that. that those, were good posi- those were good pickups. Cibulina looked good at the beginning. He really, really, really does not look good now, and I don't understand why he continues to play. Ever since Everton went to the Brazilian national team in the last international window, he's come back without any explosion in his step. It's not a lack of effort. I see people talking about no gaja. It's not about gaja. This is simple science. The guy has a buildup of lactic acid. Okay. He has a fatigue. You can see it. He, he has not beat somebody on the dribble with an explosion to create a shot since week three, since match day three. He can't get himself free into spaces anymore. He can't beat anybody on the dribble. He's passing sideways and back because, well, his teammates also are not moving for him. They're not finding him in good positions either. The team has lost that rhythm and that that ability and that feel for each other. Because, again, once things go bad, this team just crumbles. It's like they're made out of, out of putty or something or made out of pudding. They just completely melt and, and wash away. We got a back line, and everybody's everybody's massacring our quote-unquote old central defenders. But look at what is around them. Look at the system that is around them. 
No true holding midfielder to help them out, okay? Yes, they're, neither one of them are, are track stars. Neither one of them are sprinters. That That's fair enough. But you got two outside backs. And when the team is playing poorly, as we have now for three straight matches, it's 100 and, I'm sorry, 270 minutes of football. Okay. And we have our two outside backs attacking like we're, yes, JJ, like we're Barcelona. Like we have a team that's going to keep the ball and like we have a team that can that can afford to leave just two guys in the back. Okay, you're spreading the two central defenders too far apart from each other. You can do that when things are going well and when the other team is backing up and when the other team is is you know not not coming forward into our end when there's no threat of a counterattack, that's fine. But these teams are not stupid. They're putting the ball right into the wide spaces where our outside backs are too busy playing as as practically as strikers. Okay, there's there's no balance in that. And then again, we don't have a real holding midfielder. At the end of the day, we don't have a real holding midfielder. I'm coming around to the idea, as much as I like the player, that Ulian Weigel was not the signing we needed at that time. I mean, I understood it was not the signing we needed at that time. And I'm starting to come around to the idea that it's not going to work out for him. Gabriel is not a holding midfielder. He's fine when we are playing in a high press. He understands that. He's fine going forward sometimes. And when he's on, he's very good. When he's off, he's very bad. There's no in-between with him. And positionally, he's not in the right place. Ever. Just look at his heat map from the game he was man of the match. He was never in his position. He didn't have to be that day. The problem is when you play against a Sporting Braga, who is going to play you, we have a huge highway, a freeway down the middle of the park for, for the center channel for the other team to come down. We're horrible in, de in defensive transitions. Absolutely horrible. You know, thinking back to when there was rumors of William Aron coming in from Flamengo, I'm wondering if he was really as cheap as they said we should have got him. Because he does all of these things that JJ needs in front of the back four. We didn't go get him. I don't know why. If he was only a couple of million like, like it was reported. Again, this team, we, we spent the money elsewhere. Okay, this team is not constructed right. I'm sorry, it just isn't. How many wingers do we need on this team? Now you got a you got a Shikinu that's completely out of the squad, no place for him. You're trying to adapt a, a Diok Tavares to a right back. Fine, I understand that, but why can't we go? Why can't we go sign a right back, a proper right back? Gilberto's not not resulting. Okay, it's 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 just not working. Who knows why? No, I'm not in that in that training session every day. I can't tell you what's being said to him. What he's what his instructions are in the match. I don't know. Same thing goes on the left for Nuntavarsh. He's great one match. He's he's not the next. It's the inconsistency you expect with a young player, but possibly a lot of you are saying he should be on the B team or on loan somewhere else. You know how bad we could use a Florentine right now? Florentine Luis. He's exactly the, what we're missing in midfield right now. Somebody to come in and just clean it up. Somebody to to play in that middle of the park and win balls and to distribute. Who cares if the passes are sideways? 
If you spring on a player sideways with an outlet pass and he has he has real estate in front of him to carry, that's fine. You don't have to pass forward when you have dribblers. And we got we got guys like Rafa that can run with the ball. We don't find him enough, to be honest. And then eventually these teams figure it out. They just start to follow him like crazy. We're back to that point. We're back to Casa Rafa. Casa Rafa. Hunting Rafa. So there's a lot of things that need to be fixed in this team. So let's uh, begin our look as we go one match at a time here. Uh, bear with me. This could be a long one. I do understand. If you want to <laughs> if you want to uh, stop at any point, please feel free. Press pause and come back later. Or if this is just too much, I'll, I'll talk to you in the next episode. I, I totally understand. Um, but we're going to take a quick break here. And um, on the other side, we'll start talking about last Monday's debacle at the Stadio do Bessa against the checkered side against uh, Bovista Football Club. This is Mr. Benfica. I am the Mr. Mike Agustinho. You can follow me on Twitter at Benfica Mr. On Instagram at Mr. Benfica. On Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash Mr. Benfica. And don't forget to check out the YouTube page with selected episodes there at the Mr. Benfica channel on YouTube. Um, probably going to be back on YouTube after this international break. Um, I explained last episode that it's a little bit uh, difficult uh, sometimes to find uh, to find the extra time to upload the video and to add the tags and to do all of the extra stuff that goes into producing a YouTube video and then converting the file to an audio to put it in for a podcast. So right now it's audio only. But before before we take this break, I do want to give a shout out to the Benfica women's team. All of you that listened to episode uh, ninety five earlier this week where I broke down their season so far. Shout out to them. Another victory over the weekend. Last minute victory. 4-3 on the road against Torreense. Okay. Yes, I'm concerned about the... It's going to be tough to win the league for them, but they are working hard. They are playing well. Um, You know, a lot of talented players have left that team, but the ones that are there are working. And um, with the draw that fell this week, I did say I would announce it. Benfica have drawn... Anderlecht in the next round of the preliminary stages of the Women's Champions League. So it's a one, one-off one playoff for a spot in the Champions League proper. I think it's on the 18th or 17th of November. Benfica will travel to Belgium and play Anderlecht. One win, 90 minutes away from the Champions League proper. That in itself would be a huge accomplishment. And... Um, I want to. Uh, I also just want to give them a shout out. I got messages from a couple of the players who heard the podcast and liked it, and I, and I am absolutely humbled that um, I'm absolutely humbled that the players took time to listen to the podcast, um, even if it was just five minutes. I don't, you know, I don't know how how much of it they listened to, but it really meant a lot to me that they took a minute to 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 listen and to let me know that uh, to thank me even for covering the team, and I will continue to do so. All right, so there will be more women's team coverage especially during this international break and also i got a modalidad's report i'm thinking of doing this week with no with no men's football to cover this week um i would like to get that out at some point in the next seven days or so so stay tuned to this channel all right we're going to take a break and we'll be right back here on mr benfica Jornada 
sofrida A glória da vitória tem que ser bem nutrida Na reconquista do que é nosso Por direito que não vi Por fazer o que podia ter sido feito Se queres a nossa força Sabes que estamos contigo Em casa ou fora Nós somos o eterno abrigo Sabes que estamos contigo Nós somos o eterno abrigo Ouve a nossa voz O querer de todos nós Até que não se explica Carrega bem fica Carrega bem fica Ouve a nossa voz O querer de todos nós Até que não se explica Carrega bem fica Carrega bem fica Ouve a nossa voz O querer de todos nós Até que não se explica Carrega bem fica Carrega bem fica Ouve a nossa voz O querer de todos nós O querer de todos nós Manto sagrado é peso pesado Não o carrega sozinho Em cada esquina um vizinho Sente o carinho do Algarve até ao Minho O vermelho pinta a Tuga E é isso o teu colinho Na reconquista do que é nosso Por direito que não vi Por fazer o que podia ter sido feito que és a nossa força, sabes que estamos contigo Em casa ou fora, nós somos o eterno abrigo Sabes que estamos contigo Nós somos o eterno abrigo Ouve a nossa sorte, o querer de todos nós A fé que não se explica Carrega bem fica, carrega bem fica Ouve a nossa voz, o querer de todos nós A fé que não se explica O Argelino, atenção, é perigoso. Angel Gomes, uma finta, duas, vai para o chão e há penalti. Penalti a favor do Bolvista. 16 minutos, 17. Penalti sobre Angel Gomes. Espetacular a forma como ele tira várias defesas da frente. Há mais. E ali precipita-se Everton Cebolinha, que vai depois também fazer a falta. Angel Gomes parte para a bola, atira e está a partida. O primeiro para o Boa Vista marca Angel Gomes. Na transformação de uma grande penalidade, sem hipótese de defesa para Odisseias, Vlaco Dimos. And that was the call on RTP Internacional calling this match uh, in Portuguese. That is Angel Gomes, the young on loan English. Um, Attacker playing for Boavista, the son of a former Portugal youth international, Benfica youth product, Gil Gomes, and he uh, he shined in this match, no doubt about it. And that and you hear there is the call on the penalty, as he does very well on the ball to create the space, and a tired and out of his element Everton Sabolinha um, commits a penalty because I believe because of. Uh, just a lack of confidence and a lack of, of fitness right now. Outstretches his leg at the worst moment possible. And Angel Gomes goes down. And then you heard Angel Gomes convert the penalty kick to put Bovista in the lead. And what this happened here uh, raises the question I bring up week after week. When Benfica do not score early. okay, We have seen two different kinds of Benfica under Jorge Jesus. The one that scores early now. okay, In the majority of the season. And they take control of the match. They put the other team back on their heels, and things go well. And then you have the Benfica that doesn't score early, right? 
You think of the match against Pauk. You think of this match against Bovista and the one yesterday against Braga. They come out with such ferocity, or they try to at least. Um, and Benfica's fitness is dropping. There's no question. There's a lot of matches. There's a lot of a lot of kilometers run by these players, and the explosive start gets harder and harder. That there's no no uh, doubt about that. But they don't get that goal, and they and they hit the wall, so to speak. Right? We used to talk about that in, in running and track and field, okay, and in distance running especially. When you go out too fast, you hit the proverbial wall, and it feels like you, as someone who has competed uh, on a track in athletics, you hit a wall, and your body, you you can't breathe right, you can't run right, and it, and it feels like people are just speed walking by you because you went out too fast. Benfica hit that wall when they, they come out with the type of intensity that they come out with. We like that, yes. Problem is when it does not result in a, in a goal, we're behind the eight ball and we're we're winded. We're unable to to set. We don't settle as well into our pace afterwards, or our pace doesn't um, doesn't benefit us when the opponent has not surrendered and the opponent is you know level with us. And they're not gonna they're not gonna open themselves up. The whole point of coming out hard and getting the goal is to force the opponent to open themselves up and not allow them to lay in two deep blocks. Okay. And have a low a low um, line of confrontation, and give Benfica no room to play in the attacking third. In this game, in this one, in the first the first uh, quarter of an hour, Benfica were the better side, I think, and then it just went off the rails at that point, and it starts there with that counter that ends up with Angel Gomes winning a penalty kick and converting the penalty kick. But before we get to that. Let's go through the lineups in this one. Okay, this was round six of the Ligonage. And it was uh, Leo Leo Jardin in goal for Bovista. The four across the back. The right back is the American Reggie Cannon, former FC Dallas youth product, uh, U.S. international in the next uh, international window. He's been called into the national team. Childozi uh, Agazamim is at center back along with Christian Davanish. And Yanis Hamash is the left back. Uh, three men in midfield with Miguel Gessinu in the center with Ricardo Mangas and Sho to each side of him. And the three in attack for Boavista. The striker was Albert Ellis. He's got Paulinho to his left and Angel Gomes to his right. Um, notice by, noticeable by his absence is our former holding midfielder. Uh, Javi Garcia, who did not play in this match, uh, injured. Benfica's 11, okay, so Jorge Jesus, and this is where I think the first mistake happens. And I think it's not just Jorge Jesus, okay, the players no doubt looked at the calendar, okay. They looked and they said, okay, we got Boavista Monday, we got Rangers Thursday, we've got we got a quick turnaround to Braga on Sunday. They go, oh, we got Rangers and Braga later in this week, we and I think they overlooked Boavista. Boavista comes into this match without a win. Vasco Siabra on the hot seat, okay? And if you haven't figured out by now, I'm a big fan of all of these Portuguese managers. Uh, after, you know, 95 episodes plus, I don't know, 30 bonus episodes, I think you've figured out how I feel uh, about a lot of these Portuguese coaches. It's not just a fandom. They're, I have a general interest, too, in watching the developments of their career. I've been watch, I've been following Vasco Siabra for quite some time since he was... Uh, Sport TV had a documentary on him some years ago called uh, um, 
now I forget what it was during his time at Pas Fajeda, his club that he basically came up through as a coach and uh, he became the first team manager when he was younger than half of the team. So uh, that was the story was, uh, I don't know, or something like that is what it was called. Um, and he cut and he, you know, he managed them back to the first division and had some success. And I, and then he, he was sacked, unfortunately. And I followed him ever since he, he floated around in the lower leagues. He was at Mafra last year in the second division and then was selected to take over this, um, this aggressive, you can call it Bovista project, uh, with foreign investment from, from, uh, for, for Bovista and with some players coming in that, uh, you know, to, to give at his expense, at his disposal. And interestingly, they went with Vasco Siabra, who's still very young. Uh, I think he's about 40 years old, perhaps. Let me, I can double check that possibly. He's 37 years old. He's my age. So that that is, uh, and he's already got probably 10 years of management experience. Um, and he takes over, and you know he comes in with no victories. But you know what? He's got Benfica well studied. His his team is well prepared, and they come out and they give what so many give against Benfica, which is the performance of the season. In case you're wondering, Bovista would lose this past weekend in the following round. So they gave everything in this match, and this is the reality. When you're Benfica, you are going to get everyone's best week in week out. Very rare that you don't get the other team's best. And if you're not ready to go in and to fight, and I've talked about this now for a number of episodes going back to last season, if you're not ready to go in there and to fight, you can have a hard time with everybody. And Befica had no intention in fighting in this match. So, Georges Zouge goes with Vlacodimus in goal. Gilberto is, is the choice at right back after having had uh, Diogo Gonçalves for two matches. Uh, Jan Vertonghen and Nicolas Otamendi in the center of defense with Nuno Tavares as the left back. Uh, in midfield, you had Gabriel playing in the hole with PZ on one side and Adel Tarapt on the other. And up front, you've got Darwin Nunez as the striker, and he is partnered by Luca Waldschmidt and Everton Sobolinha. Now, Everton again in the lineup. I w- if there was one player to rotate in this match, for me, it was Everton. I said it in the opening segment how the explosion is gone in his step. The the ability to take the player on, beat him, and put himself in a position to to either play a teammate in on goal or f- take the shot himself, he's not been able to do that. Part of the reason the other teams are packing the middle of the pitch and Everton is playing from the left to the right and he's cutting in every time right into traffic where the other team has everybody positioned. Okay, and there's been virtually no adaptation by this team and by this manager to change the way they play based on their opponent. And I'm not saying that Benfica shouldn't take care of these uh, these matches, regardless of uh, of of choices, regardless of systems of play. They should. The talent difference is is overwhelming, and Benfica should be able to overwhelm a team like Boavista. But Again, Benfica are playing three matches a week. They just went through three weeks with three matches a week. Okay, um, there is definitely a fatigue factor, and it's not being well managed by the by the coaching staff. That's just a fact. You can say that well, the players got to work through it. Yeah, that sometimes the answer is to just put tired players out there, and they got to play through it and find a way. 
But the thing is, we're going on three, four straight matches where I think Everton needs a rest, and he keeps getting rolled out there. Now, Benfica start well enough, like I said, and um, Benfica's, uh, to be noted in this match, uh, Grimaldo was still out with an injury. Um, Andre Almeida obviously out with an injury. And Jean-Claire Tudibo was doubtful. So he's yet to play as well. And in this match, we get Georges Jesus starting to invent. All right, so we move ahead, and we're down a goal to nil, as we already said. And we get later in the first half. And Benfica are looking to level, but they have very, very few ideas on what to do. Okay. As we move here, let's go to... Let's go to... Well, in the 26th, it's still Boavista looking to double their lead. It's it's Paulinho on the right with the right-footed shot from outside the box. He misses to the left. Um, it's it's really lots of Boavista here. Benfica looks like they look confused. They look unsure of what they're doing. In the 29th, we finally get an opportunity to, to equalize. And it's a cross from a guy I criticized enough, so I'm obviously going to... Give him his props here. Brilliant cross from a Delta Rapt. Okay, I say I give you, I read you his goal and his assist line every week. Okay, he should have had an assist here. He puts the ball in a perfect spot for Jan Vertonghen. Vertonghen's header, unfortunately, is right at Leo Jardin, right at him. Like, literally, if he had headed it anywhere else, this game is 1 1. Unfortunately, it is right at Leo, and it's a save. And two minutes later, it's Bovista again. Now it's, it's Paulinho. Right-footed shot from outside the box. Saved in the bottom left corner by Odi Vlacodimos. And Benfica are on their heels. Another attempt in the same uh, 31st minute off the rebound from a show. He misses just to the right. Benfica get a corner in the 34th. Nothing comes out of it. And you have Benfica racking up lots of fouls as well. A foul on Adel Trapt in the 35th. Foul on Pizzi in the 35th, 36th, Nuntavarj with the foul. And on the 37th minute, it's Albert Ellis with a left-footed shot from the center of the box. Top left corner, no chance for Vlacodimos on this one. And it is 2-0 to the home side, to the underdogs, Boavista, the Panteras Negras, the Black Panthers. And Befiga are shell-shocked right here. Um, you can... Listen, if I'm if I'm sitting a world away in the United States watching on uh, uh, watching on a stream, right? I I can feel the air come out of this team. I can only imagine what the players in the squad felt at this point. And again, the lack of a true leader, the lack of a tr- even from the manager, there's just no the emotion is not there. What has happened to Georges Jesus? What happened to the guy that is pacing up and down the line, pressing his players? Shouting at them, you know, shouting instructions, and a lot of times encouraging his players. We see Georges Jesus standing still, chewing on chewing gum with his hands, his hand on his chin, not sure what to do. There's been a much different posture of Georges Jesus in the last two weeks than there was in the first five. There's no question about it. And like someone, one of the guys from Benfica Independent. Um, or perhaps it was uh, Befik FEM, I don't remember, on Twitter, said that this is the guy that when you're up by six, he's going crazy, pressing his players and looking for more, trying to get the sixth. And when the team is down, it, it just looks like there's no solution. There's 
something's not right here, okay? Um, perhaps he's frustrated with the group of players he's been given. Perhaps they're not listening to him in training. This wouldn't be the first time this happened. Perhaps they're not carrying out his his instructions. Um, perhaps he just sees the, the mental weakness in this team that I see, and I think a lot of you see it. This team is fragile. This team is made of glass, okay? And there's stones flying in from everywhere, and they're made of glass. And perhaps he does not know how to fix this problem, and and it's really uh, affecting his ability to do his job as well because his mind is on, is on, you know, a bigger problem than the match, which is not good. If you're the manager, your mind has to be 100% laser-focused on the match at hand. But if the bigger picture looks bleak, it can easily creep into his mind during the match. And like I said, he's not getting these lineups right, in my opinion. And I'm not saying I have the answer either. It's not easy. This is why he is paid so much. He's making the same mistakes as Hui Vittori and Bruno Lage, but making twice as much in his salary. Okay. Benfica have invested heavily in him. They have invested in this in this in this roster. Not wisely, but heavily in this roster. And we need more from the manager. I'm sorry, we need more from the manager. And I'm not trying to blame him. And I'm not calling for his dismissal. Fox Sports in Brazil reporting that <laughs> that Benfica fans are calling for the dismissal of, of Jorge Jesus. I don't think that's the answer. This problem was here before him. Okay. Part of his job is to resolve this. And that's not going to be done. I've said that's not going to be done in two or three months. Problems that are this deeply rooted in the club and in the squad do not get resolved in a couple of months or with a couple of good results. But he really has a big challenge on his hand to fix this team. Because here we sit again, falling in the table, looking up at teams that are not as talented as us, but are better constructed. Ruben Amorim's Sporting is better constructed as a cohesive unit than we are right now. If you don't believe that, you need to go back and look. You need to really rethink that. I've said since day one that Carlos Carvalhal's Sporting Braga is well built, better built than us. We'll talk about that game towards the end of the show, but there is the difference between a well-built unit and just a unit with nice parts. Right now, Benfica are a team with good parts, top-end parts. Not all 11 are top-end, but with with a fair amount of top-end parts. But right now, they don't come together as a functioning unit. And we go to halftime down 2-0 right after Vontongen goes in the book for a foul on Yanish Har, uh, Harmash. So we come out to the second half and Georges Zouge with a triple substitution at halftime. Okay, triple substitution. This is not a good sign. This means he knows he messed up on the 11 that he selected. He was resting player. I can accept it in this one game. Okay, this is a mistake I think I could have accepted. The problem I'm going to have as this episode goes on is that this mistake's not learned from. So we get a triple substitution. Okay, Gabriel is out. Gabriel, when he again, when he is off, he is atrocious. I liked the player a lot, but I liked Gabriel. The Gabriel that I used to say, my man, Gabriel, was the man leading the press. The man who got up and, along with Jean Felix and Seferovic, formed a triangle press 
in the attacking third of the pitch that forced so many mistakes. I don't like the Gabriel that sits in the hole and tries to direct traffic and does a poor job of protecting his center backs. Okay, that's not a position for him. I understand he's aggressive. I understand he works, and he leaves it on the pitch, and that's the kind of thing that, that, that J.J. likes, but he's not functional there. I would rather a Julian Weigel sit in front of those two center backs and never come away from there. If those are our two options, the team is much better protected with Julian Weigel sitting between the two defenders. Much better protected. Okay, he's he plays a safer game. He doesn't take chances. This annoys everybody. Okay, and Befica, in all honesty, should uh, should have more from a a number six. He should be able to take chances. Befica's overwhelming advantage in talent should be enough that we don't need somebody to sit that safely. But right now, this team is fragile, and I think they need they need exactly that. Sidewards passes if necessary, but high percentage passes. Keeping the ball, keeping the opposition out of our third. Okay, cutting off passes. But right now, George Zouch is not going. And in fairness to him, he, he will put Weigel there in the next match, and it's not going to work much better. I understand. But when you look at just straight characteristics of the players, Gabriel not... <laughs> Not built for that role, in my opinion. It works great when Befica are playing well, and he doesn't have to do much of the defensive side of the ball, and he can just get up and support, and he can he can break the lines with his long ball. That's great. But in this match, you know, he when he when when he's called on to defend, Befica look horrible, especially up the middle of the pitch, and not Gabriel's fault. I think he's being asked to do something he's not necessarily capable of. Also in the 45th, PZ is off, Rafa is on. Why is Rafa not just like, that should be the first name on the team sheet every single match. When he's in form like he is right now, he is the best player on this team. Okay? Now, when he's not on, that's a different story, but this season, Rafa has delivered. And I've said it over and over again. He can play bad, he can play, he can be invisible. When the match is over, Rafa is going to get his name on the team sheet more times than not on the on the score sheet. Excuse me. I would I'm willing to to bet seven out of ten matches where Rafa plays forty five minutes or more, he's getting either a goal or an assist. The other substitution is finally Everton comes off and Seferovic comes on, which changes the team clearly to a four four two. But it does not take long, unfortunately, as we move forward to the well. In the fifty-fifth, we get another we get another substitution. I sh I was getting ahead of myself there. In the fifty-fifth, Diogo Salves is on and Gilberto is off. Diogo Salves bringing him, perhaps the idea is bringing a little more attacking attacking um, mentality and quality to to the back line. But here's the thing: again, Diogo Salves, a lifelong attack-minded player. Being converted into a wing back, okay? It does not happen overnight. It uh, He didn't... Perhaps he did get a chance in preseason. I don't know. I'm not in training. But from a game standpoint, he did not get much of an opportunity in preseason. This Again, Benfica suffering right now from a lack of a preseason. I think that is evident. JJ came in. New players came in. There was no real preseason. It was a very rushed preseason against, quite frankly, mediocre uh, opponents. Um, without that 
balance you want of stronger and weak opponents in the preseason to work on different things. Okay. If you get fortunate to get a very soft early portion of the schedule. Let's not lose sight of that. Benfica very fortunate to play the first five matches against the teams that they did play against. Yes, victories over Fumalikau and Riwav on the road were good, but there were there were other matches that were, were should have been cupcakes and they had a hard time with them. Okay. Um in the fifty sixth minute Otamendi with a chance header from the center of the box, but he misses left on the end of a cross following a corner from Luca Waldschmidt. And we keep moving through in this 58th minute. Bovish's show is shown the yellow card. Rafa misses a right-footed shot from outside the box. He was close, but he missed to the left on the end of a Julian Weigel uh, pass. And Georges Zouz uses his final substitution in the 61st minute. You get five, and he used them all up in, in the first 15 minutes of the second half. Okay, To me, this is the sign where Georges Zouz has run out of ideas because he brings on Franco Cervi for Adel Tarapt. You are losing 2-0 and you bring on a player who is suited for playing with a lead, a midfield player with much more defensive quality than offensive. And you bring him in for a player like Adel Tarapt, who I've criticized enough, but who... Everyone can acknowledge his quality is going forward. So, I again, if Adele cannot play 90 minutes, he should not start. This substitution, if this is made because he doesn't have the lungs to continue, that's on Georges Zouz. That is not a good idea. He has been doing this. He's been starting this guy who cannot play the entire match. And he doesn't even have a viable option to replace him. Because Chiquinho is not on the bench. Okay? He has... Uh, Pedrinho is injured or wherever he is. He does not have a viable option to replace a Delta Rapt who needs to come out. So you're bringing on a defense-minded wide midfielder in the 60th minute when you're losing 2-0. That's on George Zouge. That's possibly over-rotation or just stubbornness in starting players that, in playing players that don't have the capacity. Now, if Tarapt comes in at this point, Lou, it, just think about it the other way around. Had he started Chervi, who hasn't played all season, by the way, all of a sudden here, we're, we're in an emergency, we're losing, go out there and do something. Yeah, this is the old Jota uh, treatment <laughs> where your only opportunity is when your back is against the wall and there's very little you can do. Chervi comes on zero minutes so far this season. Okay. And you're going to go out there and you're going to replace an offensive-minded player. What if, hey, Cher, even if Chervi starts, okay, and he can only go 60 minutes, in this situation, if you if the substitution's reversed and Adel Tarap comes in with 30 minutes to go, I'm confident that the team just got a better dynamic, that they just became more offense-minded, that they just threw something at Boavista that Boavista is going to have to adjust to. This substitution doesn't force Boavista to adjust anything. This doesn't strengthen Benfica in any way other than he's got a pair of lungs that are stronger than the ones that are coming off. Again, mismanagement in this match, no doubt. And the manager uh, admits that. Okay, In fairness to Georges Zouge, he admits that there was... That he he put he should have put a fresher team on the on the pitch, and that he should have um, done a better job with the rotations. 
63rd minute, Waldschmidt with an attempt from outside the box blocked. We'll move forward in the 64th minute. Miguel Jezinho gets a yellow card for a foul on Chervi. Nunu Tavares goes in the book in the 65th minute for a foul on show. Bovista will make a substitution in the 67th. Sebastian Perez comes on for show. And we move forward. Another substitution in the 71st. It's Gustavo Sawyer coming on for Angel Gomes. That's it for the young English uh, player of Portuguese descent. He... um, Puts in a good a good performance, no question. And a few minutes later in the 75th, it is Yanis Harmash on an assist from Paulinho to make it 3-0 to Boa Vista. And really, that's all she wrote. The match would, would play out, but Befica with very little ideas. No idea how to break down Boa Vista, who were, who were stuck in, who were well-organized, well-prepared. And Benfica lose their first match of the Liga Nage season 2020-2021, to Boa Vista. And I'm going to take a quick little break, and we're going to go to the Europa League next Wednesday's match. I should say Thursday's match, Benfica and Rangers in the, in the Europa League match day three of the group stage. This is Mr. Benfica. I am the Mr. Mike Agustinho. You can follow me on Twitter at... Benfica Mister on Instagram at Mr. Benfica and on Facebook at www.facebook.com. And of course, if you want, you can email me at themrbenfica at gmail.com. Welcome back to Mr. Benfica, episode 96, and you heard that music, which means only one thing. We are in the UEFA Europa League. It is match day three. We are in Group D, Benfica hosting Rangers, the first ever official meeting between these historic, historic clubs in Europe and historic clubs of European football, um, both both. Um, you know, both legendary clubs in their own country, and both both uh, clubs owning owning a large large portion of the fan base in their whole country. There is a lot in common with these two clubs, Benfica and Rangers, as we said. Both teams coming into this match on six points in first place, sharing first place, I should say, in the group. Let's go to the lineups. All right. As um, to, in an effort to keep this episode under several hours, let's move right ahead. So, in goal for Rangers is Alan McGregor. We said last week he is top of the 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 char- top of the goalies with least goals surrendered in this competition. He actually had two clean sheets in the first two matches. Rangers, 16 victories, two draws coming into this match in all competitions this season. Absolutely on fire. As you know, this club is managed by the legendary Liverpool uh, player Steven Gerrard and his back four in a 4-3-3. James Tavernier, is the right back with Connor Godson, Goldson, and Philippe Hellander. The left back is Borma Beresic. 
Three in midfield with Ryan Jack in the middle, Steven Davis to the right, and Joe Aribo to the left. And the three in attack are anchored by Alfredo Morelos. The Colombian is their star striker. And he's got Glenn Camara to his right and Ryan Kent to his left. Now, Benfica would would field a slight a changed side from the weekend, of course. And again, Georges Zouge had said after the Boavista match he needed to field a fresher team. And uh, unfortunately, I don't think Georges Zouge got it right once again. And I'm not I'm not just going to beat up on him here. I mean, this he has a very difficult job. And I have experience being in staffs where there you go through a phase in the season where it seems like you can't pick the right players. You, one guy gives you a reason to believe in him one day, and the next day he lets you down. Vice versa, you know. And um, really what he he experiments again. He goes with Diogo Gonçalves at right back in this one. Um, decides to stick with Nuno Tavares at left back and not go with Grimaldo, even though Grimaldo was ruled fit for this one. I think that was the right decision as as a week ago. In match day two, Nuno Tavares was the best player on the pitch against Standard Liège for most people. Um, the midfield that he selects is Ulian Weigel anchoring with PZ to his right, Adel Tarap to his left. Um, and up front, he decides to go with Harris, Seferovic, Rafa, and Everton. So Luca Waldschmidt and Darwin Nunez rested. George uh, Jesus had said a, we- a few weeks back, or less than that, two weeks back, that Darwin is not a machine and he needs to rest, yet he proceeded to start him three more consecutive matches that week. So finally Darwin gets his rest here, and I don't believe this was the place to get that. And I'll explain in just a moment. Everton selected once again despite the very visible signs of fatigue and wear. And I'm it's getting to the point where I'm nervous that Everton's gonna end up injured because he does not have this he does not have the gas in the tank to be logging these kinds of minutes. But it seems like the manager is just just insistent on going with Everton match after match after match. Listen, I've read a lot of the comments throughout wherever, whether it's, you know, on the YouTube, on on social media, wherever. Wherever Benfica content is posted by any of the various Benfica content creators out there, English, Portuguese, it doesn't matter. Uh, there's always comments that Everton's a flop. Everton is not a flop. Everton is at a low point right now. Okay, his form is off. We always say class is permanent form is temporary what he needs is to recover he needs recovery he needs to rebuild his confidence because that is seriously lacking right now and um he the manager says that he's learning a new role i don't buy that okay everton is for or has been a first choice player for the brazilian national team okay he's won the copa america he He's not just some guy who came from a second division Brazilian side or a, a favela club that <laughs> doesn't understand the tactics of the match. I refuse to believe that because he's, I mean, he's put on the the sacred jersey of the Canarinha. The, he knows how to play both ways. Okay, he may not be very good at the defensive side of the game, but I, I don't believe that he's losing his attacking game because his mind is so occupied with defensive positioning. I think that's JJ trying to protect his star signing, the guy he put his money on. This is the guy that he asked for, okay? This is JJ's guy. So right now, JJ is doubling down and defending his guy, okay? 
Again, I think he's a great player. He's show he showed in the first three games just what he's capable of. All right, and I think that what's happened is he he's run into fatigue. This is a lot of matches. Okay, in Brazil at his former club at Grêmio, his manager Renato Gaúcho. Okay, would would never play the same team. He he's heavily criticized for never playing the same team. In you know when you have multiple matches in the same week. Grêmio don't win the Brazilian league ever because Renato Gaúcho, the manager, rests everybody during the Brasileirão in in preparation for the Copa Libertadores. So what is Grêmio's reality year after year is that they're in the semis, you know, they're late in the quarters, they're in the semis, they're even in the final sometimes of the Libertadores, and they cannot win a Brazilian league, a Brasileirão, because they take those matches off, okay? Grêmio does not... Would not put a guy like Everton in there for three matches in one week. At Benfica, he's being asked to do that week in, week out. There is where. This, he is not used to this, okay? This needed to be handled more carefully, in my opinion. There was no need to start him, okay, against Bovista. The game didn't go well anyways, so you wasted those minutes on him. You wasted those kilometers. And in this match again, I... You could have gone with with someone else. It, it's that simple. I mean, the the resting of certain players again is being mismanaged. But what it's also showing, and this is not necessarily JJ's fault, is what we perceive as a deep team is actually a, has a lack of depth at certain key positions. Okay, and even though we have a plethora of wingers with Pedrinho not available for whatever reason. Okay. Diogo Gonçalves now being converted into a outside back. Um, for whatever reason, Chervi is not... Chervi is a funny one because he's he's completely tossed aside every season. Put in a corner. And then we hit a point where we have nobody else. And all of a sudden, Chervi becomes, becomes undisputed. It happened with Bruno Lage last year. It happened in previous years. Okay. Uh, all of a sudden, we can't afford... He's like our first guy on the sheet because, well, no matter who we play at left back, can't defend very well, okay? So a left midfielder <laughs> that can't d- defend. And now, you know, we're playing in this in this 4-3-3 type formation here with, uh, with three central midfielders, and it's not protecting the back line. And it's leaving the two the two central defenders even more exposed because both of their outside backs are always too far up the pitch. Okay, I don't have a problem with this is the modern game that outside backs attack. However, the team does not reshape itself. So you have in front of Diogo Salves and in front of Nuno Tavares in this match, you have Adel Tarapt and Pizzi. Either one of those guys, does anyone believe are the table players to drop in and cover for those outside backs when they go forward? I don't think any. I don't think the biggest Adelta Rapt fan would expect that from him. Nor would I expect that from him, and that's not his fault. Again, I try to make my criticisms as fair as possible. Adelta Rapt not being able to cover for Nuntavarj is not his fault, or for Diogo Gonzalez, regard whichever side of the three-man midfield he happens to be lining up on, because him and PZ do switch. Okay. 
You can't just leave Jan Vertonghen and Otamendi by themselves back there. And again, I said that Weigel is the best guy to sit in front of them and protect them. Although, what happened in this match, in fairness to Weigel, is that Otamendi gets sent off, which we'll get to in that a minute. We'll get to that in a minute. And now you got Jardin to make the left side of the defense that much more vulnerable. You, you now got Jardel in there. You got Jardel in there with Vertonghen moving to the right side. And, um, you know, Nunt, you got Nuntavarj, you've got Jardel, and either Adel Terapt or Pizzi lining up on that left side. And then do we wonder why Rangers is counterattacking like, like we've never seen before? Well, at least in this one, we're going to start off well. So here's a sound clip of the first first play of the match. I actually missed this. I had the game on. I got up for a second because I was watching while I was while I was working, and I had to tend to something that came to my attention, and I missed this. But here's what it sounded like. All right, this is courtesy of CBS Sports here in the United States. A bit of pressure here. What a start for Benfica. This is, and it's an own goal. The ball was played against Connor Goldson. He couldn't do anything about it. And Benfica take the lead with exactly a minute played. So Rafa there getting the match off on a great start. And if you're Benfica, this is exactly the response you wanted to having lost in the league three days earlier. Rafa beats Tavernier down the right. And then he crosses for Seferovic, who would have been able to tap it in. However, he was he was um, defended by Goldson. Goldson gets in front. Uh, he gets he gets himself gold side of... I shouldn't say goal side. He gets himself ball side of Harris Seferovic, but then he puts it into his own goal. The, the cross was coming along the ground hard, and Goldson couldn't redirect his foot or his hips in a direction to avert that from putting that ball back into his own goal. He had no choice because if he doesn't do that, uh, Seferovic has a tap in. And Mefika take the lead in the second minute on that own goal. But much credit needs to be given to Rafa for that goal. A lot of hard work from him down the right side, beating his man and then sliding it across the across the face of goal. And Benfica start very, very well, okay? The first 15 to 19 minutes, to be exact, were very, very good from Benfica. Rangers couldn't even get out of their end. They were just, they were go, they were resorting to long clearances, and Benfica was able to build out of the back and to find space. They were finding the gaps. They were moving the ball well. Uh, the players like Everton and Rafa were finding their way in between the lines. And you had you had Terapt and Pizzi picking out good passes, but that all changes in the 19th minute. All right, so here is a quick sound clip. Here is a summary of about the next four to five minutes of this match. This this covers basically everything important that happened between the 19th and the 25th minute of the match. It's Davis over the top. Good ball. It's turned out to be. It's going to be a free kick right on the edge of the box. Ryan Kent went down and a red card too. Looks just in line there, Kent. Looks onside. And Otamendi, he has a look at him. He has a grab back and then he makes sure he's close enough to impede him. He's, uh, he's made it look like an accident, but I think Otamendi is far too experienced. He realises he's taking that for the team. 
off goes the skipper. Tavernier. It's on to the return. Tavernier across and it's an own goal equaliser. What a piece in the game. It was pinged in with so much power that it proved impossible for Diogo Goncalves to control it. We've had a red card and two own goals, one for either side. Just had a swing and it's a hopeless hack. You can uh, apportion more blame to him for that one than you could for Goldson for the goal that gave Benfica the lead. Ryan Kent's trying to stay onside. Camera is the player further over. Good ball by Alfredo Morelos. Camara has support from Barisic, but he's got eyes for goal as well. And he's found the net. That is a brilliant finish. Slotted home quite superbly by Glenn Camara. What a spell this has been for Rangers. And there you have it. So in the space of about five and a half minutes, everything comes undone. And I've talked about the mentality in this team, the weak, weak, fragile mentality in this team, or at least lack of mental strength. Clearly on on uh, display here. All right. A a red card to Nicolas Otamendi. That is the first thing. And this has sent some in Befica Nation absolutely out of their minds. And, um, well, it, again, uh how do I, you know, how do you put this? But it, it has not been a good start for Nicolas Otamendi at, at Sport Lisboa Benfica. No question about it. Of course, this was always a possibility. And given his history, it was going to be much harder for him than anybody else virtually to come into this team and to adjust, you know. And I was I was talking to my father this weekend. And, and again, he is very, very wise when it comes to coaching and when it comes to uh you know, coaching decisions and things like that. I uh, I really respect his opinion, obviously, because he taught me just about everything I know. Um, and he made a good point about Otamendi here, and he's and it's not that Otamendi is here to destroy Benfica as some kind of mole from Porto. That's a ridiculous claim to make from a player on a national team who's interested in going to a World Cup in about a year and a half's time. He's not going to come here to massacre Benfica when he's got. You know he's a professional, and he has he has carried himself as could be expected the entire time he has been here in terms of professionalism. But he has had some incredibly bad uh, fortune, if you will. Uh, first, you know he has the penalties against against Farence, and he he has this this sending off here. But my father pointed out that. Um, even if in and, and it kind of has opened up my my thinking as well because I I have said here on this microphone on the record that I understood making him captain or making him the fifth captain if you will because of the others that are not not in the picture at the time and on normal circumstances I think that was good but my father pointed one thing out to me that I have to give him credit for he goes George Zouj put him in a even worse situation by doing that because you already had a large part of the fan base that was not happy about him even coming into the team and because he played for Porto it's like George Zouche maybe in trying to win over fans or in trying to 
get people behind Otamendi, put the captain's armband on him. I I, I do believe George Zouz's statement that he 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 picked him for the reasons that he stated, and they made perfect sense. He's he's the one that speaks the language. He's the one that uh, you know that brings the most experience at that point. And while that's all true, I think his history it put a, it put a yet another target on the back of this player who's trying to adapt into a new team. And and you can see, you can definitely see, and there is nobody that can deny that Otamendi is getting a first-hand lesson on the difference in the rules if you are defending playing for Benfica or if you are playing for Porto. Okay, this red card was harsh. It was the right call. By the letter of the law, it was the right call. You watch it on the VAR. And uh, well, no var, but you watch it on the replay. For me, it's incidental contact. You heard the announcer there from CBS. He didn't think it was. He thinks that that Altamendi made it look incidental with his experience. He could be right. I don't know. I, I'm looking at this obviously from the perspective of a Benfica fan, but um, uh, for me, that's uh, there is some incidental contact there. I think the player goes down rather easily. Um, now, by the letter of the law, if the referee is going to call the foul, he has no choice but to send Otamendi off. Okay, uh, the player may have been offside. Okay, there was no VAR to review it uh, to the naked eye. It looks even, but how many times have we seen it look even at the naked eye um, in the replay? And then the little the little line goes across, and you see, you know, a 30, 40, 50 centimeter difference. Um, very likely that that would have been the case had there been VAR in this competition. And I have to criticize UEFA once again. If you you have to, how can you have a UEFA competition with no VAR? This is the same thing that I say about the UEFA Nations League. They want these competitions to be taken serious, whether it's the Nations League or the Europa League, these these perceived second-tier competitions. But then you, you then treat them like second-tier, second-division competitions when you don't have a VAR. And you would never in your wildest imagination send... You know, a Champions League team like like a Real Madrid or a a Barcelona, Manchester United, a Juventus. Well, I sh- shouldn't say Manchester United. They've made quite a few appearances in the Europa League, but you know what I mean. You wouldn't send c- clubs of that caliber with that kind of financial backing into a competition with no VAR. Okay, you would never think of of saying that there's no VAR in the group stages of the Champions League or there's no VAR in the group stages of the Euro Championship, right, in Euro 2020. Imagine if UEFA came out and said there's no VAR in in the group stages of Euro 2020. No, but when it comes to the Nations League and to the Europa League, they don't use VAR in these early stages. It makes zero sense because then they implement it later. And you're not giving the same opportunity to the teams at this level, at, in this stage, as you would in the next stage. So a team can be robbed from progressing due to the lack of VAR. And now in the next stage, when Champions League teams drop down, all of a sudden you have VAR seemingly to protect them. Okay, this is a problem for me, and I think UEFA needs to either not have VAR, which is not going to happen, or implement it in all their competitions. That's that's my personal opinion. And I'm going to stick to that. And I, I, I believe it's very likely that this player was offside. That said, it's a red card. It is what it is, okay? Um, pretty much any other defender in that position would have would have been caught in the same unfortunate situation, okay? That could have been... How many times did we see Ruben Dias make fouls, okay? Make mistakes. He He had four own goals last season. Nobody ever beat him up for it, okay? 
Yes, because we, we groomed him and he came from our academy and we saw him as a true Benfiquista who plays for the shirt. That's fine. But when a new player makes similar mistakes, okay, he deserves the same benefit of the doubt regardless of his past, in my opinion. And in the opinion of the manager, obviously. And if I'm the manager, I'm not going to not play somebody because he used to play for another team in fear that you know he's going to be crucified by by the masses for a mistake that he makes that you know the previous player made plenty of mistakes and was always picked up by the by the supporters and always supported once a player puts on a Befica jersey fans need to support them and support does not mean not criticizing okay support does not mean not criticizing for me support means not assassinating the player's character okay there's a lot of Befiquistas out there also who are who are increasingly angry with with people like us, myself, the Benfica FM guys, the Benfica Rescaldo, the Benfica Independent Rescaldo uh, Jog crowd. You know, um, Magda talked about this last night on her on their show. You know that all of a sudden, if you make any type of criticism to the team, you're not a Benfica, which is ridiculous. Because to me, you're not a Benfiquista if you close your eyes and you just blindly support and cheer. That's not support. Nobody's going to get better that way. Okay, You're going to allow the team to just get worse and worse and worse if you continue to blindly support them. That is not how you support a club, in my opinion. Okay, So there's a lot of people out there who seem to think that that's how you support Benfica. You you criticize those that are critical. You fire back at those that are critical, and you assassinate the character of players that you don't happen to like, or because this player played at another team, or because George Zouche, you know, left six years ago. That you're still you're still going after his character right now. Is he an impeccable character? Of course not. Is he perfect? Not even close. Does he make mistakes like any other manager? Yes. Is he there trying to massacre Benfica, trying to sink Benfica? I highly doubt it. I highly doubt it. Okay. And that that's quite a an accusation to make. Okay, that's quite an accusation to make. Just because you don't like the way the results are going. And some people are unhappy with his appointment as manager. And I know a lot of people are unhappy with the results of the club's election. And unfortunately, you know, there is the sentiment that that it's four more years of this because we're returning right to where we were before the election. It seems like everybody just got got it right for for the first, you know, first month and a half, two months of this season in order to push LFV across the finish line in the election. It seems that way. I highly doubt it's that way, even though it looks that way. And, um, well... There's a lot of division in our club, obviously, among supporters, and it's it's not a healthy thing. We need to be able to look at these matches and criticize honestly and criticize accurately. We can't just emotionally criticize because a player used to play for Porto. Okay, that that's my that's my my defense uh, of Nicolas Otamendi in this context. It was listen, he was sent off. Okay, yes, another mistake by this player. Correct. Um, again. I don't have an issue with you criticizing the player because of these mistakes. I have an issue when it becomes a character a character uh, attack. Okay, because he's done nothing to he has done nothing and said nothing to warrant an attack on character. But as you heard there in that piece, um 
just minutes after Otamendi is sent off. We get we get the substitution first. Jardel is on. PZ is off. And this is the, again, JJ, this is the wrong move. Everybody knows that Harris Seferovic cannot play as a lone striker. Okay? We have seen Seferovic 2018-19. Seferovic 2019-20 and now Seferovic 2020-2021. Okay? It's more than obvious to anybody with a set of eyes that Seferovic is at his best with the right partner. Why then are you taking PZ off the pitch? And I know he has not played well. I'm not this is not a defense of PZ. Okay? This is this is a a criticism of the pieces that were moved in the chessboard, okay? And the wrong one came off. It could have been any player in that position. Never. It doesn't matter that it's PZ. It could have been Shikinu for all that. that uh, it was the position on the field that was sacrificed to bring on the central defender. Okay. We know that Harris Seferovic cannot play by himself up front. Why do we leave him on the pitch to play by himself up front? I know we're winning. Okay. And again, the team's reaction to this red card is absolutely atrocious. And it's it's unforgivable and it's inexplainable. Inexplicable, excuse me. Um, I shouldn't say it's inexplicable. It's very obvious what happened. But it is not acceptable. When you are, you, you are winning a goal to nil, it's not like you're losing and all of a sudden you go down to 10. You're winning. You've already got one. Okay? You know you're better than the other team. You know you can keep the ball against them. But it's like as soon as they went down to 10 men, okay, nobody knew what to do anymore, which tells me they've not trained for this situation, which is also unexcusable at this level. You read jo Jose Mourinho's autobiography. He, he, he trains 10 on 11 every day, okay? Every time they play a full field game or every time that they train in, a, in training, there's a portion of that dedicated to playing with 10 against 11 because it can happen in any match. Now, you can say in hindsight being 2020, I totally agree that Otamendi should have just let them in on goal and given Odisej the chance to come up with the save or let them draw a level. Hey, we're all over them. We've got 70 minutes. We can just take control back of this match, okay? Um he made the wrong decision, I suppose. He got too close to the player. Um, again, I, I'm I to me it's in, it's quite incidental. I don't think he he obviously didn't try to commit a foul there. No no defenders trying to make a, commit a foul in that situation. But he he misjudged the run and maybe misjudged the speed of the player, and his instincts kind of took over. He got an arm out. It was the slightest of touches, but. He put the team in a real deep hole by going down to 10 men. But it was made worse by the reaction of the 10 men on the field. It looked like they'd never played with 10 men before at this level. And at this level, you can't have that. Now, JJ makes the wrong substitution to make matters worse, in my opinion. And yes, I know hindsight's 20-20. And listen, any manager could have made that same mistake. I'm not saying this is not his fault. I'm just simply saying what what the fallout of that decision was, okay? Again, you have an Everton who's completely cooked. He is completely spent, okay? His legs are, are heavy. He's got little fuel in the tank, and you leave him on with 10 men where, where he has to defend even more. 
Well, you're asking him to defend even more on an already compromised left side. I think Seferovic should have been the player to come out in this one. Or or, or Everton. Those were the two options for me that had to come out in this situation. To bring Jardel on. Or, even better, you know, you could have... You could have dropped Weigel into center back. Okay, that's something he can do in this situation. And you add a midfielder. You add a midfielder. You add a... You know, I'm going to look here and see who was on the bench in that one. Okay. So, the options off the bench. We ended up going with... with um, Ended up going with Jardel. But we could have... Could have gone with... Well, Waldschmidt was on the bench. So was Nunez. So was Gilberto. Again, you could have gone with Gilberto and moved Diogo Gonçalves into midfield. Okay, dropped, dropped, uh, dropped Weigel into center back. That doesn't leave you with the true holding mid. But again, you're down a man. So uh, Rafa was going to have to drop. Rafa could have been the striker by himself. I think that would have been the best play. Would be to put Rafa up front by himself. Let him use his speed to chase down balls. Okay. And uh, bring on Jardel. Or you could have brought on. You could have brought on Gabriel as well and put him in the center of the pitch, although he didn't look good in the previous match. But I think JJ got that one wrong. It, it's a little harsh to say that because he didn't exactly have the most chances in the world there. He didn't have the most opportunities to... Uh, or I should say he didn't have the best selections off the bench to go to. But at the end of the day, he got it wrong. And as a result, five minutes later, it is 2-1 to one to Rangers. Okay, bad defending. All right, Diogo Salves' goal is is a little bit of bad luck, a little bit of poor body positioning. Again, he is not. He's got. You're talking about weeks' experience at that position, not years. So, you know that's a tough one. But with that, if you could go into the halftime uh, break, down two to one, and then the second half starts just like this. Five minutes into the second half, have a listen here. is waiting in the middle it's all the way over to Morelos 3-1 Rangers and it's a record breaking goal for Alfredo Morelos that's his 22nd in European competition for the famous Glasgow club it's a superbly timed ball well two of them actually and Morelos has timed his run perfectly too. First of all, Goldson to Tavernier. Waited for the right time to make the pass. Tavernier kept his head up. Looked at Morelos. When's he going to run? Where's he going to go? It was all perfect. So Rangers make it 3-1 to one with on a goal from Morelos. And um, Alfredo Morelos gets on the end of a nice run from his teammate there. And you can... You see, and I should say before the goal, we had a double substitution at halftime. Gilberto entered, Diogo Salves was off, and Grimaldo was on for Nuno Tavares. Again, I don't like seeing the outside backs switch during the game. To me, that's a that's a, a bad, especially when it's like-for-like like switches. It's not like you're bringing on a more attack-minded uh, wing back in the situation where you're losing. 
or you're bringing on a more defense-minded one in the situation where you're winning, where it changes the dynamic of your team. Yes, it, it is upgrades probably at both positions, at least for, um, you know, Diogo Salge outside of his horrible mistakes there was not having the worst of, of matches until his world got flipped upside down when his center back partner was sent off and all of a sudden he, um, you know, he realized he was going to be asked to defend for the next 70 minutes. But he was replaced, and so was uh, Nuno Tavares, who did not have a good game. This was not the same Nuno Tavares we saw against Standard Liege. And Grimaldo is off the injured list and onto the pitch in the 45th minute. And Befica, you know, at first it didn't it didn't result in much. And uh, they tried to get the ball to Grimaldo, tried to get the ball working forward. But uh, five minutes into the half there, you heard the goal from Alfredo Morelos. And what happened here is Gilberto looked really bad on this play. Um, the ball's coming in down the right center channel. And it's played across the face of goal. And Gilberto stops running with, with Morelos for some reason. I don't know. I, when I watch the replay, it looks like his view of where the ball is does get blocked by his teammate. I think it's Vertonghen. And uh, perhaps he doesn't realize that he's... It looks like he's holding a line as if he's trying to hold uh, hold Morelos from going offside. But the line is behind the ball. And he has a teammate in front of him, so I don't know why he's stopping right on the line of the of the small area of the six yard box, and he stops running with his with his his man, and allows Morelos to just tap it in easy. I I don't understand what kind of defending this is, and uh, this team has a real problem defensively. There's no question about it. But if you can have a real real problem defensively, and really for the next. It, it was James Tavernier who who put that ball across the face of goal and allowed Morelos to make it 3-1. to one. And Befica just struggled the rest. Uh, they go on a, on a nice 15-minute stretch here of just struggling. In the 60th minute, however, Jorge Zuz has seen enough, and he starts to, starts to inventar, as they say, although this was a good substitution, but he will start to just make uh, changes. And wholesale ones, and so and suddenly the re the idea to rest is a little bit out the out the window. But he will bring on Darwin Nunez, who he was hoping to keep off for the entire match. I'm sure Darwin replaces Seferovic, um, and again Darwin is running like crazy up top. Darwin is pressuring the ball. Darwin is trying to get into spaces. He's working very, very hard, as is Rafa. Darwin and Rafa in this game are working and running. And they're trying to get Benfica back into the match. The other eight men on the pitch, or the other seven field players, look like they have given up. It, it This team looked like they had completely given up on this game. And they didn't look like they wanted to dig deep and to fight this one out. But, fortunately... We, we get another substitution first as George Zouz finally gets Everton off. Okay, Everton spent, like I said, he started the match spent. An hour into it, 66 minutes into it, he there's nothing in, in the tank. On comes Luka Waldschmidt, who, who I think the mister was also hoping to arrest. Rangers will, will counter with a substitution of their own. This is the only substitution that Steven Gerrard would make. Scott Arfield replaces Joe Aribo. And then we move to the 76th minute. Have a listen here. And this is this is all on the hard work and belief 
of Darwin Nunez, and then he finds Rafa to reduce the lead in half and give Benfica a chance to to still salvage a point in this one. Balchmitt. Nunez, he's got it. He's in front of Haylander. And he's kept the ball nicely and given a tap into Rafa Silva. A glimmer of hope for 10-man Benfica. Maybe they aren't done yet. And Rangers have to switch back on. Chances there to win the ball and get rid. Darwin Nunez deserves full credit for his battling skills. He ignores the push from Haylander. McGregor and the Swedish defender then get in one another's way. There is a push there, but Nunez stays up and sees the chance to play it back to Rafa Silva, who's on his own in the middle of three, but enough space to pop the ball into an unguarded net. Benfica two. Rangers three. So Rafa makes it two to three, and now Benfica have a chance. And I, I will admit, I was fairly confident at this point that Benfica were going to grab an equalizer. Um, you could see that when Benfica wants to play, they're very capable. There, there is an issue in this team about desire, I think, and they, and there's a issue in this team about belief. And if, if, if Darwin never comes into this match, I mean. They shouldn't rely on one player to come in and raise the energy and to just decide to to convince the rest of the team to start trying again. And and this is kind of upsetting to me. Um, you know, Benfica once and it happened also against Braga. Once they decide to start playing, they show that they can play. They need to learn how to play from the start. Okay, they need to learn how to play with a lead or how to they need to learn how to manage a match they don't seem to know how to do that okay I shouldn't say play with the lead but they don't seem to know how to manage a match they were ahead in this one for 15 minutes 16 minutes okay they went down to 10 men and they did not know how to manage the situation this is a problem this is something that the manager and his staff have to resolve I understand it doesn't happen overnight, and I think George Zeus JJ is still opening his eyes in a way, and, and and he's still realizing just exactly how fragile of a squad he inherited, even with new players in the team. the 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 problems are still there. There they have not been resolved. You can bring in players, you can mask the 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 symptoms all you want, but they're still there and they're still manifesting. Fortunately for Benfica, though, the comeback would be complete just a few minutes later. Okay, it starts with a nice save from Vlacodimos. And um, another one was a ball that went on to the post. Okay, Rangers had plenty of opportunities, even before Benfica's second goal, to make this 4-1. to They had opportunities to make it 4-2. to But finally, uh, on the verge of stoppage time, who else? Darwin Nunez, whoever found this guy playing in the second, the Spanish second division. Uh, well, he should be the new head of scouting. Um, or maybe it was just lucky, like some people say. You, you, you shoot ten times, you're bound to hit a squirrel. Something along those lines. Or a blind squirrel finds a nut once in a while. Well, Benfica found a, found a gem here in Darwin Nunez. And in injury time, he rescues a point. And he rescues, if you care about this, Benfica's unbeaten streak of now 24 matches in the UEFA Europa League. Uh, 
as it is a new record for Benfica. Uh, not for Benfica, for the competition. Benfica now hold the record for most consecutive matches without a defeat in this tournament. Here is the soundbite again from CBS. As here is Darwin drawing level, and then you'll hear the final whistle after that. Morelos wants it again. Kent tries to twist and turn past Jardel, then tries to find Morelos, and it is Morelos now. Good save, Lacadimos. Down quickly and sharply. Two minutes to go. Chance maybe for Darwin Nunez. He's in and he scored. And Rangers haven't won this game. And for Benfica, this will feel like a win. Rangers too careless, too casual. And they've allowed Benfica back. And Darwin Nunez has made a massive difference. It's coming on. It's a Super Bowl through to him. Look at the way he allows it across his body and has the pace to burst in between the two defenders and to finish expertly. Nothing McGregor could do. Benfica with 10 men have actually won the second half. They were 2-1 down at the break. He's been terrific. Super sub, Darwin Nunez. Super game. With so many twists along the way, it will feel like a win for that man. So Benfica rescue a point at the death, and they stay top of the league as uh, top of the group. Excuse me, as we said, on seven points, same number of points as Rangers, but Benfica ahead in the goal difference. Now let's run down the rest of the results from match day three in the UEFA Europa League. Of course, Benfica three, Rangers three, Hapoel Bear Shiva. Two, Bayer Leverkusen. Four, Lech Poznan. Three, Standard Liège. One, Ludogorets Razgrad. One, José Mourinho's and Carlos Vinicius and Jetson Fernandes Tottenham Hotspur. Three, Cyp- uh, Cypriot side Omonosia Nicosia nil. The Andalusian side Granada. Two, Greek side Pauk Thessaloniki. Four. PSV Eindhoven won. That was in Central Macedonia in in Greece. And two goals from one Andrea Zivkovic, a name we obviously remember and has who has been a part of Benfica conversation more this season than I think he had in the entire time he was on our on our squad, with the exception of a couple of month run there under Rui Vitoria. Rapid VN 4, Dundalk 3. So the Austrian side hangs on to take three points against the Irish side. Real Sociedad 1, Azed Alkmaar 0. Regica 1, Napoli 2. Roma 5, Cluj 0. Sivaspor 2, Quarabag FK 0. Slavia Prague 3, Nice 2. Arsenal 4, Molda 1. Celtic at home at Parkhead 1. Sparta Prague, the Czech side, go in 2. Parkhead into Glasgow and win 4-1. Four goals for the Czech side. In Croatia, it's Dinamo Zagreb 1. Wolfsburger AC 0. In the Netherlands, Feyenoord 3. Siska Moscow 1. In Serbia, Red Star Belgrade 2. Ghent 1. Uh, our our league mates, if you will, and our next opponents, Sporting Braga, travel to England to take on Leicester City, and Leicester give them a thumping 4-0. At the San Siro, it is Milan 0, Lille 3 in the Renato Sanchez show. 
Offenheim 5, Slovan, Liberec, nil in Germany. Swiss side Young Boys win 3-0 over PFC, Seska Sofia. Zoria 1, Ike Athens 4, Royal Antwerp 0, Lask 1, and in Spain it is Villarreal 4, Maccabi Tel Aviv 1. Let's look at the group standings in each group now really quickly before we move on. In Group A, Roma leads with 7 points. Second right now is Young Boys with 4. Same number of points but with a better goal difference than Cluj. Group B, it's Arsenal. Perfect so far. 9 points from 3 matches. 3 ahead of Molda and 6 ahead of Rapid Vienne. Dundalk are in the basement with no points. Group C, Slavia Prague 6. Bayer Leverkusen 6. So they are the two teams at the top of that table. Nice and Hapoel Beersheba each have three points in third and fourth, respectfully. In Group D, we have Befica with a with a plus five goal difference, and they lead Rangers. And both sides have seven points. Lech Poznan is third with three points, and Standard Liège still with no points. Group E, it's Granada with seven points. They are top. Pauk are second with five. PSV have three, and Omonia. Nicosia, excuse me, uh, have one point. Group F, AZ Alkmaar lead with six, but they are level on points with Napoli and Real Sociedad. Each team with two victories and a loss, and Rijeka is bottom with no points. Group G right now, it is Leicester perfect. Three victories from three matches, nine goals for one against. They have nine points. They're three ahead of Sporting Braga, who have six points, and Ike Athens have three. Group H, Lille are top with seven points. Milan are second with six. Sparta, Prague with three. And Celtic in the basement with one point. Group I belongs to Villarreal right now. They have nine points. Their opponents in this match day, Maccabi Tel Aviv, are second with six points. Sivaspor are third. And Quartabag are in the bottom. No points for Quartabag. Group J, and it is Tottenham Hotspur. Level with Royal Antwerp and Lask, all three teams on six points. Ludogorets has zero. In Group K, it's Dinamo Zagreb. The Croatian side have five points. They're top. Austrian side, Wolfsburger AC and Dutch side, Feyenoord each have four. And in the rear is Seska Moscow with two points. Group L, it's Offenheim with nine. Red Star Belgrade with six, Slovan Liberec with three, and Ghent with none. All right, we're going to take our final break of the show here, of this episode, and we're going to come back and talk about the Braga match. If you're still with me, of course, I know we're well over an hour and a half now, and um, we're almost there. People stick with me for just a little bit longer. All right, we'll be right back here on Mr. Benfica, episode 96. Thank you for staying with me all the way here as we're now up to the final match that we're going to talk about in this episode. And it is round number seven of the Liga Nage. And Liga Nage round seven got started on Friday, November the 6th. It was Blenish Sad nil, Riwav nil at the Jamur. 
on Saturday, November 7th. Tondela 2, Santa Clara nil. A, a tough result for the Azorian side as Tondela continues to uh, to mount a few points and no doubt Tondela will likely be in that uh that annual fight to stay up as they seem to be every year on the last day. There's three points that will help them in that effort. Family count two, Maritimo one. And then the result of the weekend, really. Saturday, it was at the Dom Alphonse Henriques in Guimarães, the first capital of Portugal, and the Conquistadores nil. Sporting Club Portugal four. Shout out to the guys up at Sporting EN 160 or Sporting 160 EN, I should say. I'm sure they are thrilled with this result. And I have to admit, Sporting playing the best football in Portugal at the moment. They are firing on all cylinders. They are uh, they are a team with a huge belief right now. And, well, it's time to start taking them seriously, in my opinion. And anyone who is not, well, that, that should have sent the message loud and clear. As Benfica and Porto continue to struggle, Sporting already has opened up a four-point lead. And um, it's time to wake up if we don't want to let them get too far away. But I have to say they are playing some brilliant football right now. Nobody wants to hear that, I'm sure, in Benfica Nation. But the truth of the matter is right now, Sporting Club Portugal playing some fantastic football. And it's time to start taking them seriously. Sunday, November the 8th, in Algarve, France 3, Boa Vista 1. Remember what I said about Boa Vista? Well, one, <laughs> they came right back to reality after their win over Benfica in Madeira. Nacional 2, Gil Vicente 1. At the Dragão, Porto 3, Porto Monens, as I like to call them, 1. And, of course, the match we're going to talk about here now in this final portion of the show Stadio de Luz, Benfica 2, Sporting Braga 3. Let's go to the lineups now. Starting with the with Carlos Carvalhal's side that visited from Braga, the Guerreiros do Minho. And after starting the season with two defeats, they've won five straight. And they have they have put themselves right back in the title race. Yes, it's very early, but they are level with us on points now. And in goal, they had Mateus. Their right back was the talented Ricardo Jaiu, center back pairing of Bruno Viana and Vitor Tormena, and Nunesqueira is the left back. Four in midfield: uh, Anderson Galeno on the right, André Castro and Al Musarati in the center, with Francisco Moura playing down the left, and then up front the duo of Yuri Madeiros partnering with the soon-to-be new Portuguese international. Paulinho, who I've been calling for that guy to get a call-up, I feel like, for about a year now or more. Um, more than that, because the national team hasn't played in, hadn't played until until September. They hadn't played in so long. But, uh, yes, um, Sporting Braga's Paulinho, he gets the start along with Yuri Madeiros up front. He is in Fernando Santos' Santos' next squad list and call-up list for Portugal's national team. Benfica... Again, with changes and, again, uh, scratching my head a little bit about some of these decisions from JJ. Uh, Odie is in goal again. Gilberto returns as the right back, while Otamendi and Vertonghen pair up in the center. And it's Nuntavares preferred to Grimaldo at left back. 
New addition into the midfield is Andreas Samaric. I'm a big fan of Andreas Samaric, always have been. However, I do not understand taking a guy who's been in the stands, not even on the bench, and plopping him into this match as a starter in, the, in a high-pressure match, all, coming in off a loss. And we've seen Samaric for many seasons now at Benfica. Yes, his best football and his most influential football was played under George Zuz, there's no question about that. Um, he definitely dropped a level when George Zuz left and went to Sporting. Okay, Andres Samaric was a non-factor under Rui Vitoria, resurrected a little bit under Bruno Lage, but then buried again by Bruno Lage. Not sure what what went on there. I still, I have my theories, but again, he seems to find himself in this role far too often for my liking, where he goes from the bench to the stand. Okay, he's the only player that seems to care half the time. We remember those those scenes last season with him up in the stands as they're fighting to hang on to their title challenge and you can see him suffering like a fan and you can see him just trying to will on his teammates from the press box. Finally gets a chance here, but it's in some real real Difficult circumstances. Reminds me of the beginning of the 1920 season, or the 2019-2020 season, not the 1920 season, obviously. But you know what I meant by that. By that, um, After Bruno Lage didn't use him the entire preseason, okay? Didn't use him. And then all of a sudden, against Porto, plops him in, and when it doesn't go well, yanks him at halftime. Um I find Samadhi keeps he, he keeps having some really bad luck in that department. I mean, if you're going to use him, he needs to be introduced slowly. He's a player who throughout his career has needed two, three, four games to get himself, you know, match fit and to get himself in form. So very, very difficult to, to, to just slot him in here against a title contender. Make no mistake about it. Sporting Braga is a title contender with Benfica and Porto dropping points. And with Sporting Club Portugal at the top of the league, Sporting Braga can keep pace with them. Okay? And as I go through this midfield, the rest of the midfield he has, Rafa to one side, Pizzi to the other. Remember that Adel Tarapt played all 90 minutes on Thursday. So with such a little turnaround, he was not selected for the 11 in this one. And then up front, Darwin is back as the striker. Luka Waldschmidt uh, to one side and... Everton, Subulinia to the other. Again, Everton continued to be chosen. And um, it's a, I, I'm at a loss for words because he clearly is not fit. Okay, he's clearly not anywhere near 100%. Again, his legs are heavy. He's got no explosion from his first step like he used, like he had at the beginning of the season. And he's about to fly halfway around the world to play for his national team again. I mean... I would have had Rafa in the front three and, you know, you could have gone and sounds crazy, but you could have gone with Tarapt off the bench, but Tarapt wasn't, wasn't fit. So, I mean, he's still got, again, he's got Chiquinho. He's got, he's got Diogo Salves who can play there. Um, Gabriel must not have been fit. He's got Weigel. He, I mean... I think Georges Zouge can be more creative than this when picking an 11. This is like a straight invention, in my opinion. It's not, I mean, he's bringing on Samadij, which 
again, to bring him on in this context is very difficult for any player, but especially given the history of this player, he's he has consistently struggled in this situation of being plugged in. And then again, you take your guy who creates most of the goals. You take your guy, like I said, who is who gets himself on score sheets, and you move him out of the attack and into the midfield. And plop in Everton Cibolinha, who needs who needs a game off, who needs a match off. I think, um, well, I think Benfica and Jorge Zuz are realizing they made a mistake about Florentino Luiz at this point. I'm quite positive of that because he this if you're gonna play this system, he is the guy to put in that situation. But this is the eleven that JJ rolls out against Braga, and um, well. We all know how it went. Uh, I'll pull up the match facts, but it, it's really same old Benfica. You know, there's no explosion out of the start. Again, you can't play at 150 miles an hour or 100, whatever, 200 kilometers an hour, whatever your unit of measurement is that you're familiar with. You can't go balls to the wall every single game playing three days a week. And I think that JJ may have burnt these players a little bit in earlier matches. And the intensity's not there. I don't think it's a lack of effort. I think it's 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 an absolute wear on the players. In the tenth minute, Yuri Medeiros goes in the goes in the referee's uh, pocket for a yellow card for a foul on Darwin Nunez. And twenty fifth minute, it's Ricardo Isgayu going into the book as he fouls Andreas Samaris. And Samaris was not terrible here. He he had his moments where it wasn't good, but up until you know, things started to fall apart for Benfica. He was not bad. And we can move forward to the 34th. Waldschmidt with an, uh, an effort at goal. Left footed shot from the center of the box. But it was saved by Matuj in the center of the bo- of the goal. Rafa winning a free kick in the defensive half in the 35th. Fouled by Francisco Moura. But it's it's Braga pushing. And it's Braga in the 37th minute. An attempt was missed by, by Vanderson Galeno. Is his right footed shot from the center of the box was high and wide after he'd been set up by Ricardo Ujgayu. And before, of course, I'm watching this match on my phone, okay, because of where I was at the moment. Um, I wasn't near a television set, and I'm watching this match on my phone. And as soon as he misses that, I get the alert from FOTMOB because I forgot to shut off my alerts for this match. And it tells me. Score update, Benfica nil, Braga 1. I hadn't seen it yet. And wouldn't you know, as soon as that removed from my screen, I see Yuri Madeiruj, um his left-footed shot from outside the box, find its way into the bottom left corner. He's assisted by Andrea Castro after the ball is given away. And Braga take the lead again at the Stadio de Luz. Deja vu of last season, for sure. This is a different type of game, but the feeling was exactly the same once Braga took the lead. And that one nothing lead would carry them into halftime. And at halftime, Georges Zouge would opt to make two substitutions again. And the fact that he is making these substitutions at halftime, okay, is is indication that he he didn't get it right. And I'm not trying to beat up the manager again. I listen. I I think I'm a fan to uh, or a friend to managers. And of course, this match has two of my favorites. One on each side in George Zuzuz and in Carlos Carvalhal. I've been a big fan of Carlos Carvalhal for many years. 
um, followed his success in Turkey, followed him in the championship in the Premier League, followed him pretty closely last season at Riwave. Okay. But again, at, at halftime, JJ decides that's it for the Samadish uh, experiment. And it's Gab- Gabriel coming on for Samadish. And Seferovic comes on for Everton. Now, why that subs- Why that couldn't have been the start? Why couldn't... I, it's, uh, I guess it's. there's no sense in going back and saying why. But, I mean... Seferovic is on form, okay? If Seferovic is in there with Nunez, Seferovic is very useful, okay? He's productive when he's partnered with with Nunez. When he's in there with Nunez and Waldschmidt, he gets his chances because the other guys take a lot of attention away from him. But the manager insists on starting Everton in this match and then ends up having to pull him at halftime. 45th minute, though, it's another save for Vlacodimus as uh, Francisco Moura will will take a left-footed shot from the left side of the box, but it was saved. In the 46th minute, Rafa has a right-footed shot from the center of the box, but he misses after he's set up by Gilberto. Uh, in the 47th minute, we have a corner conceded by Nicolas Otamendi. And, of course, because he is so under the microscope, everybody is going to blame him for the for the, for the the following goal, which comes in the 49th minute. And um, after the corner is cleared away, the ensuing play develops. And from the center of the box, it is Francisco Moto with the left-footed shot after he is played through with a through ball from Al Muzarati. And Braga doubled their lead at the Stadio de Luz. And Benfica just look out of whack, out of sinks, unsure, no idea what to do. And you see the manager, George Azuz, also, again, does not look like himself. This is a man who's normally stamping up and down the touchline, shouting instructions, moving players around, making signals with his hands, telling exactly what he wants. And we're seeing a George Azuz that is kind of standing still with little to say, little to to show. And again, I'm concerned because something just doesn't add up for me there. 55th minute and Nuno Skeda goes in the referee's uh, book for a bad foul on Otamendi. And he sees the yellow card in the 57th. Seferovic has a header from the center of the box, but he misses just left as he gets on the end of a Nun Tavares cross. Move forward to this 59th minute, and George Azuz makes another double substitution. It's Adele Tarapt coming on for Pizzi. And I've always said I like Tarapt in this situation. I like him a lot more in the final 30 minutes of a match than in the first. 30 minutes. The other team is tired. The other team has gotten settled in defending a certain way. And now you have a new kind of player to 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 deal with. Adele comes in. He replaces Pizzi. And Grimaldo replaces Nuntavarj. And again, this, this subbing of outside backs is something that is really, to me, it's, it's something that really gets under my skin. I mean, and everybody's, of course, harping on Nuntavarj that he's, no, he's not Grimaldo yet. He's young. He's green. He's not experienced. I I understand that, but you can't keep. I know you get five substitutions. That does not mean that you automatically get an extra one that you want to save for an outside back. You never know when you're going to need this. And 
the substituting defenders to me is just is wasting substitutions if the if you're not changing the shape and the dynamic of the team. In the 59th minute, Seferovic has an opportunity, a left-footed shot from outside of the box. He misses from the right, but he's clearly um, a motivated player in this one. He is set up by Rafa, and we keep moving. But then in the 62nd minute, it just seems like it just keeps getting worse. As a lobbing ball is played over the top, Otamendi is running is running back towards his own goal. He's got Francisco Mora on his back, and Odiseyev seems to call him off. And um, Odisei is way away from goal. Seems to call Otamendi off of the ball, but then does not get to it as as Fr- Francisco Mora is able to to head it up and over Otamendi over uh, Odisei, excuse me, and then is able to carry the ball into the box and slide it comfortably into the open goal. A big mistake from the Greek goalkeeper. Um, again, many people pointing the finger at Otamendi, and I think that has a lot more to do with where he came from, where he used to play, than what's actually happening. Yes, he's making mistakes, but at this point, you know, everything is just piling up mentally on him and on other players. Every player seems to be carrying this mental load right now, and there's something in this team that when they get behind or when things start to look tough, they lose the ability to make decisions. They lose the ability to 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 be composed. They start to every it starts getting to the point where every decision they make is the wrong one. If it's right, if they should go right, they go left. If they should go up, they go down. It literally is the wrong decision every time. And Praga now find themselves ahead three three nil, only for five minutes though. Um, in the 67th minute, it is Rafa with another assist. Now, what did I say about Rafa? Okay, this guy needs to play all the time in the attack. He gets a cross in. Seferovic heads it in for the goal, and it pulls one back. It's Mefica 1, Braga 3, right-footed. Oh, this was not the header. That was the next. This was a right-footed shot from the center of the box into the bottom left corner off of a cross from Rafa. And... In the 68th minute, it's another substitution. And J.J. does it again. It's the outside backs. Again, this time it's Diogo Gonçalves for Gilberto. I don't understand when you're losing why this is the substitution you decide to make. It seems like a substitution just for the sake of a substitution, to be perfectly honest with you. In the 72nd minute, uh, Carlos Carvalhal goes to his bench, and he brings on João Novaes, replacing Francisco Moura. Good day for Francisco Moura in, in this game. In the 73rd, there's an attempt missed. Very close effort from the right foot from Luca Waldschmidt, but he misses just left. 75th minute, Vanderson Galenu with a shot from the left side of the box, saved by Odisej Vlakodimos. And in the 76th, another attempt. This time it's Paulinho for Braga. He has a header from the center of the box. It's close, but he misses to the right. He gets on the end of a cross from João Novaes. In the 78th, it's a yellow card to Diogo Gonçalves. He is called for a foul on Galenu. In the 80th, Darwin with an opportunity, a header from the center of the box, but he misses to the right. He gets on the end of a Grimaldo cross. In the 85th, though, it is Seferovic once again. This time it is Grimaldo with the cross, and it is a header uh, from the center of the box into the bottom right corner, and Seferovic makes it 3-2. to two. Or two to three, I should say, as Benfica now with five minutes to go. This is starting to look reminiscent of the Rangers match 
and they get themselves back within a goal. Carlos Carvalhal quickly uh, scrambles to make a substitution. On comes Guillermo Scatini. Off comes Paulinho. And Benfica continue to push another substitution in the 90th plus one. Rodrigo Gomes replaces Wanderson Galeno for Braga. And Raul Silva replaces Yuri Medeiros. Remember Raul Silva last year, the player taunting our supporters at, at the end of the match. And if you don't remember, that was the day our boy Samadish got right in his face and defended our club's honor. The only player who had the guts to do that, to get up and to defend our our club's honor. Seferovic would put the ball in the goal again in the 90th plus 5, but he would be ruled offside by VAR. And, well, I think he was called offside to begin with and then verified by VAR. Um, and that would be... And he got on the end of the through ball from Nicolas Otamendi. But that would be it. Benfica wake up way too late in this match. And... Um, find themselves again dropping six points in one weekend. What was the week from hell? If you're still here with me, thank you very much. Uh-huh. Uh, you don't know how much I appreciate your loyalty if you're still here with me at this moment. Uh, this has been a very, very long episode. Let's just quickly run down the table. Sporting our first with 19 points. Braga right now second with 15 uh, Benfica are third with 15 as well, and that's because FOTMOB is using the, I believe, they are using the head-to-head as the tiebreaker, which would be the tiebreaker once the season is complete, as we learned last season, only when the season is complete. Fourth, two back from us in Braga is Football Club do Porto with 13. Fifth right now is Rio Ave with 10, but also on 10, right behind them on goal difference is Vitória Guimarães Nacional and Santa Clara. Famalicão climbing the table after a slow start. They're ninth right now, but with nine points, only four, only one point back from a European spot right now. Uh, Pasos Ferreira and Morenes have eight apiece, as does Tondela in 10th, 11th, and 12th, respectively. Bolinis Sad has 13. Maritimo, I'm sorry, Bolinis Sad has seven points in 13th. 14th is Maritimo, also on seven. 15th is Boavista with six points, and then... In the relegation playoff zone, okay, so there is a relegation playoff this year, the Liguilla, as they used to call it right now, 16th place is France. They will play, the team that finishes 16th will play the third place finisher from the second division in a playoff to, to for the final spot in the Liga Nage next season or in the first division, whatever it is called the next season, as I believe this is Nage's last season with the naming rights, and they're not interested in renewing. And then Gilles Vicente also on five points, but a goal back on goal difference. Sit in the automatic relegation spot right now. 17th place, five points. Portimonense, once again, where they were last year, relegation zone, they have four points. All right. Um, the league leaders, real quickly Pedro Gonçalves of Sporting is the top goal scorer. Harris Seferovic from Benfica, our player. And Tiago Santana of Santa Clara, each with six goals. And. Assists is still led by Darwin Nunez with four, but Ferences, Ryan Gold, and Benfica's Everton each have three. All right, and right now the highest FOP mob rated player in the league is Pedro Gonçalves of Sporting, and he is absolutely on fire right now. 
He's averaging an 8.2 rating. That's going to do it. It's going to be a while before uh, Benfica take to the pitch again. We got an international break now. So it's much needed, and I'm hoping that even though a lot of players are not going to be able to rest because they're going to the international team, I'm hoping that the change in scenery, change in voices, change in routine is going to be something very good for all these players. And I'm hoping that when this club gets back together in two weeks' time that we get back, we get that restart we need now. The next match will be on November the 21st, I believe, and it's going to be against third division side Paredes in the third round of the Portuguese Cup. And uh, Benfica will be traveling away. I don't believe the match is, is scheduled to be played at Paredes' home stadium. With some, It's something I wish I had more time to criticize here because there's something I don't like happening in the Portuguese Cup, okay? And that is that all of these low-level clubs... Draw the, the the federation has set up that they get home games in this round when they bring a first division club to their to play them. Yet all these matches get moved. Listen, I don't care if the pitch is a cow pasture. That is cup football. You are a first division club with a huge payroll playing against in some case completely amateur teams with no payroll. You, if the the magic of the cup is that you go to their place and you play them. If Liverpool draw Newport City in the or Newport County in the FA Cup, they go play them at their stadium regardless of the conditions, regardless of the illumination, regardless of how easy it is to televise the match. Now, Sporting is going to be playing at the Jamor, the same Jamor that was not able to host the final last year, can now host Sporting versus uh, Sakavanese Sporting. Okay, so Sakavanese is home pitch is an artificial surface so what you go play on it that's the magic of the cup that's what makes it tough that's what equalizes and makes it worth watching if you're just going to keep letting these teams and and Befica's included in this change these locations of these matches that that ruins the cup completely for me especially in these early rounds where you get the chance to see amateurs take on professionals it's captivating you're making it, it does the odds are already stacked against the amateurs why why are why not play the match on a cow pasture or play the match if there's still a a palado anywhere in portugal play it on that or on a, an artificial surface a synthetic surface i mean that those are all things that make it more intriguing make it more interesting and you know what these teams need to stop having so much power okay sport tv needs to stop having so much power to be honest with you uh, moving matches. Last year we saw Porto play an away game against Queen Bronze, not at their stadium, but at Porto's own B team stadium, at their own training facility. That to me is a disgrace, okay? And Benfica's been guilty of this too. They went last year and they played against, uh, I want to say, Premier Zembru. And they played the match, I forget where, or the. Uh, was it the Jamor? Was it the. Bonfim in, in Stubal, something like that. Also, they played Cova de Piedad somewhere like that as well. I, for me, this that's that's inex, inexcusable. You draw a team, you play on their pitch, whatever condition it's in. And that's what I'm going to leave you with here. All right, on episode 96, that's it. Thank you for sticking with me through this entire nearly two hours of uh, me talking. And um, there'll be bonus content coming up throughout this international uh, break here on this feed. So stay tuned to it. I'm looking to get some. I'm looking to get some some uh, coverage of 
of the women's team and of some of the modalidad done in this time. All right, thank you. This is the Mr. Mike Agustinu um, signing off for episode 96, and I'll see you next time here on Mr. Benfica. Thank you.